This is Rick Moraghi, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. This is Gray, and I'm here with Rick Moraghi, writer-producer, currently on Suits. How you doing, Rick? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. I, I appreciate you being here, and uh, I think your story is of particular interest to people who want to break in, um, and we'll get to that in a, a few minutes. But but first, we want to get to know you a little bit. And so, where where did you start out, and when did you decide that you wanted to be a writer? Um, I, well, I you know I think like a lot of people probably listening, like and I, I feel like I was I wanted to be a writer for as long as I could remember. Um, I just didn't really know what I could do about it really other than, you know, writing stories and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I studied journalism in high school. I grew up mainly, mainly in Virginia. My dad was in the U S army. And so we were mainly uh, based in Virginia, although we also lived in Europe, uh, for six years when I was growing up. So, um, the idea of like working in Hollywood, I, I didn't even really understand the way that the industry worked or that there were TV shows that had writers. I didn't, I don't know if it occurred to me or what, but, uh, or it did, didn't occur to me, but, um, so I studied journalism and, and uh, I was always writing short stories and things like that. And then I went to Virginia Tech where I continued to study journalism and creative writing. And once I was there, I got, I really sort of was bitten by the bug, um, in terms of like trying to figure out how I could make a living at being a writer mm -hmm. and exploring that. So the practical side of me, study journalism so that I could maybe find a job writing when I graduated. And then the other side of me was writing short stories and screenplays on the side, dreaming of sort of, you know, breaking in another way. Mm -hmm. and, and so when you say screenplays, um, how, I mean, being in Virginia, what introduced you to the, the form and, and how did you go about it at that time? When I graduated college, I remember... Um, picking up screenplays in like, you know, the local bookstore, the, you know, the Barnes and Noble or the borders that were near my house. So I bought, you know, the screenplays for movies like train spotting or Shakespeare in love or uh good Will hunting. Mm -hmm. I'm actually looking at them right now. On my show. Yeah. And uh, those are sort of my guides in terms of like what a screenplay looked like. Um, it's funny though. One of the scripts, I think it was Shakespeare in love. didn't look like a screenplay. It, it, I mean, I realize now that the formatting was, incorrect they sort mm -hmm. of like had made it look different for the book like they italicized action lines oh and no all sort of strange stuff so my first screenplay looked like that oh <laughs> no because uh, because i i've i've read that screenplay and i remember it being formatted correctly but i guess i got the uh the proper version <laughs> you probably got the proper version i yeah. bought uh, a version at, uh, at the bookstore and uh so i sent the script to a friend of mine who actually was living in los angeles at the time and was an aspiring screenwriter and he was like, "What is this?" <laughs> and then I and then I he sent me some other scripts, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it. Okay." Uh huh. Um, so you know, it was, <laughs> it was it, but it was about trying to find scripts and read scripts and understanding not just how they look, but also how they sound and mm. and what is what does the scene look like and that sort of thing. Cool. So uh, did you did you read any books on screenwriting, or it was just reading scripts that that gave you that uh, training? Uh, no, I definitely read some books. I read uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade, the William Goldman book, mm -hmm. which is a great book. Um, William yeah. Goldman wrote Butch Cassidy. I mean, I'm sure for your, for your listeners uh, who don't know, he wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Princess Bride and Marathon Man, yeah. among many others. 
And it's a fantastic book. And he actually includes the, I think it's the full screenplay for Butch Cassidy mm-hmm. and the Sundance Kid in the book. Uh, it's just a beautiful book. Uh, it really walks you through sort of what it's like to be a screenwriter and he's just great. It's a great mm-hmm. book. So I highly recommend that. I read, you know, I read a bunch. I read Sid Field's screenplay. What else? Did I read? <laughs> uh, I, there are a couple of books like interviews with screenwriters. I read a book called My First Movie. Just things like that. Um, when I when I first started writing screenplays, I I really was focused on features because that's what I knew people did. I knew people mm. were screenwriters who wrote movies. I didn't really know much about the TV world, although at the time I had several television shows that I loved. And, um, and TV was sort of, you know, I think, I think the last 12, 15 years, it really emerged as kind of the golden age of television where mm. a lot of fantastic writing is going on and maybe starting with the Sopranos, but maybe even before that. And so I was, I really was, was drawn to features at first and then sort of made a shift to television. And, and so what, was there any particular event that prompted that or, or was it, um, did you come across a TV script or what, what, what was that time? Yeah, I, I moved out to Hollywood. I took everyone's advice, which was to take the first job you can get hmm. uh, in, in in the industry. Try to meet people, try to make connections, try to learn how how the city works, how the industry works. And so, my very first job, uh, I was a production assistant on the show Roswell, which was on the WB. Oh, and neat. then later, actually, I think when I came on, it had just switched over to the UPN. Mm-hmm. It was the show with these three teenagers who were aliens, and it was sort of and then they have their three friends and love interests who were not aliens. It was a really great show. I actually developed like Jason Kadem, who, you know, went on to do Friday Night Lights and Parenthood and mm-hmm. some wonderful shows. Just a great writer. So that was my very first job. And I got to know a lot of the writers on that show. And I saw how their, what their jobs were. They came in every day and they, you know, it was like, it was a day as a job. You come in, you get your coffee in the morning you go sit in a room with other writers all day and you talk about story and, and try to break episodes and and then you write a script and every eight days a new script appears and <laughs> we we made it. You know, like the yeah. show m- makes that script and all of a sudden it's on the air. It was unbelievable to see what that was like. You know, I worked there for nine months, I think, and we made, I think we made 18 episodes and it was just a really exciting place to be working in television. Wow. It, it really opened my eyes. And and I got to know a lot of the writers and 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 thought, wow, this that seems like a great job. <laughs> so it made me sort of shift my focus from from features to television. Hmm. And so you you did a number of assistant jobs on a number of different shows. Um, but yeah. at, at that point, what what did you say? Um, what would you say was your plan or your strategy? How how did you feel like uh, you you would wa- want to break in? Um, my strategy was twofold. One was be able to pay rent every, <laughs> every month. Um, yeah. So basically, any job I, I could get, I really would t- would take. And I got very lucky. I'll say I got very fortunate. I also worked on the show Firefly as a writer's. Oh, you're kidding! No, that was. Uh, and when I got that job, I thought, man, this this is a job that years from now I will be continue to be proud of uh, having. I uh, worked on this show. Wow. And that was great. So, uh, yeah, so I bounced around to different shows. I always ended up, unfortunately, on shows that got canceled. Mm. So my strategy, my I guess to answer your question, my strategy was to work on shows and make relationships and connections and, get, and, and learn and read lots of scripts and write lots of scripts and get lots of notes and feedback 
and just try to become a better writer. Mm-hmm. And and just sort of the idea that hopefully one day the sort of you know the break will come, the stars will align, you know, um, trying to get people to read my material, trying to get to know a lot of writers as many as I, as I could, and just always writing. And you know, a lot of times what happens in Hollywood, uh, or I should say a lot of times, but oftentimes someone will end up on a show as an assistant, you know, the writer's assistant or script coordinator mm-hmm. or showrunner's assistant. If they're on that show and if the show continues for more than two or three seasons, those assistants usually will have a shot at becoming writers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you know, sometimes they'll get a freelance script and a sort of a, sort of a trial run or, you know, the, the showrunner will read the material and say, you know what, we think you could be a writer on the show. So that was sort of one of my hopes is I would land on a show that just continued, mm-hmm. uh, past one season and maybe I'd get an opportunity like that. That actually never happened. Oh, no. <laughs> Every show I was on got canceled. Although, I will say, I, I was very fortunate in that I did get freelance scripts on two shows. I, I got a freelance script on a show called Summerland for the WB, mm-hmm. and the show was canceled soon after, hopefully not because of my script. <laughs> and then I got a freelance on, I worked on the final season of the show Charmed as a writer's assistant and wrote uh, co-wrote a script on that show. Uh, freelance. And then that show actually was canceled after that. So, um, so I never sort of had that momentum that, you know, carried me into, uh, getting staff on a show that I worked on. But, mm-hmm. but regardless, I made some amazing relationships. I learned a ton. You know, I got to be part of, part of lots of different kinds of shows and see lots of different approaches from different showrunners <clears throat> and other writers. And, um, you know, I did not go to film school. I did not go to grad school to study film or, or screenwriting. So these experiences really sort of were my, you know, sort of filled that gap. For mm-hmm. me. Well, and that's what I've heard from, from writers who, who have worked on shows that, that only went one season or sometimes only six episodes or less. Um, right, right. But that, as, as much as it's, you know, it's a bummer career-wise, but it's also not a bummer career-wise because you, you get to know so many different people and and always, yeah. um, from what I've heard anyway, that there's sort of a camaraderie um, of the people who, who who are on these short-lived shows. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm still friends with people from the first job I worked on. I'm friends with people from every show I've worked on. You get to meet lots of other people. And, you know, some writers who've been on a show for like six or seven years, I think they, you know, they don't get to meet as many different people in, mm. in, the, in, in town because you're limited to the people you're working with. So... You know, I was fortunate in that regard. I was also very fortunate. I mean, I, I, I never would wish for any of those shows to have been canceled, but it, it was always stressful trying to find another job. Hmm. But I was, you know, very fortunate that I, you know, always landed on my feet and and that sort of thing. Hmm. So, now, it in it was around, was it 2009 that you were accepted into the NBC Writers on the Verge program? Uh, 2008, actually. 2008. And so, so yeah. um, <laughs> at what point did you say, that that's what you wanted to do, and and what was that process like? The, the writing programs and fellowships were not on my radar. Honestly, they were not on my radar as much as they should have been. I should have been more. If I have any sort of uh, things I like to go back and change, no. or, or you know, I wish I had thought about differently. I, I wish I had those programs on my radar a little bit earlier. But basically, yeah, in 2008, the, the writer strike happened in 2007, and I had interviewed for a job, for a staff writing job on a show the week before the strike happened. Oh, no. And the showrunner and then two executive producers that were part of it, you know, basically told me the job was mine and, you know, I looked really good. 
um, and then the strike happened. Oh, man. And then the job sort of disappeared, and I was just like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I need something to sort of break. Mm-hmm. And so I applied to the NBC Writers Program and got in. And it was, I, I will say, it was a life-changing uh, experience. Mm, very cool. A career-changing experience. Yeah. Thanks. And, and uh, now they, there's um, some people who got jobs right out of those fellowships. Some people didn't. What was your experience? I'm very fortunate. I got a job very soon after the, that program ended. We finished in January 2009, and uh, I got staffed on men of a certain age in uh, March of 2009. Now, was it, so, did one lead to the other or, or was it just happenstance? It was a little happenstance. I, I had signed with um, the agents that I'm in with right now at uh, UTA, United Talent Agency. I had signed with them in the fall of 2008. Mm-hmm. But based off of, you know, in, in part off one of the scripts that I wrote in the NBC Writers Program. Oh, Okay. So I wrote a script in the NBC Writers Program. I had already been had sort of a relationship with one of the agents in terms of he had read some of my stuff and was interested and we were talking. And then I wrote another script and he, he really liked it and they signed me off that script. And then those guys, you know, UTA helped me get the job on men of a certain age. And in fact, the script that I wrote in Writers on the Verge was sort of my calling card and got me, you know, got me that job. Very cool, very cool. And so you had been in writing rooms before as as a writer's assistant, but what was it like when you were first a staff writer? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was a wonderful uh, experience. The sort of strange part about it was, or, or a strange part about it was that one of my bosses was Ray Romano, one of the you know, oh my goodness, famous, you know, television stars of the last. 30 years. Wow. Uh, you know, he was, he was the co-creator of the show. The showrunner was Mike Royce, uh, who's just a fantastic writer, a great guy, great showrunner. And then Ray was his, part, his writing partner. And Ray obviously was one of the stars. But So it was a very surreal experience sitting in the writer's room with Ray Romano telling stories. Wow. Um, for, the first, for the first week. That took me a week or so to settle in. Wow. But um, it was fantastic. It was a wonderful experience. And I had spent enough time in writer's rooms as a writer's assistant. I thought I had a pretty good idea of how to how to act and how to pitch and when to speak up and when to sort of not and, and things like that. So, mm. you know, every, every show is run differently. Every mm-hmm. showrunner has a different sort of idea of the best way to, to get scripts written. On that show, we um, <clears throat> every episode loosely was sort of three stories. One story that featured Ray Romano's character, one story that featured Andre Brower's character, and one story that featured Scott Bakula's character. So what we did, we had nine episodes to write, and we sort of broke a bunch of different stories for each character individually, and then sort of married them, with, hmm. you know, thematically, what stories seemed to fit together. Um, and then we were sent off to write the, the outlines based off that sort of Huh, interesting. Um, yeah, it was interesting. And um, so that was sort of, you know, that was a little surprising and new, not in a bad way, um, mm-hmm. just a different different method. Uh, I really liked it, actually. I thought it was, it was great. It gave us a lot of um, freedom sort of to, to play around with the stories once we got back to, you know, to the writing of them. Because on, on most shows, um, including the show I'm on right now, Suits, what you do really is you, you, know, you break it one episode at a time. And you sort of break it A to Z on the board, mm. um, and you sort of know what every beat 
is going to be. What's your, what's your in? What's your out? What's your conflict in the scene? What's your surprise? What's the turn? And you get a good sense of what the, the episode's going to look like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, well then, um, why don't you take me through that a little bit? I mean, so you worked on a few other shows, Past Life, The Good Guys, and, and now Suits. But mm-hmm. um, maybe, maybe you can break down from the initial idea to, toward the outline, um, sort, sort of how somebody, something goes from an idea to an episode. Uh, sure. Well, in the beginning of the season, what we typically, typically do is we spend a week or two weeks, or, you know, two and a half weeks, whatever it takes, sort of mapping out what the season's going to look like. And for, for last season and for this season, we're making 16 episodes and they air episodes one through 10 air. And then we take a, a, a break for a few months and then episodes 11 through 16 air. Mm-hmm. So for season two, uh, you know, we, we, we were thinking in terms of what's our first 10 episodes. What's that first summer run going to be? What's our premiere? What's our finale? Where do we want to get to? And then we, you know, so we sort of do that first. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, we all are kind of pitching different cases, like what are some interesting cases that could be part of the show. Mm-hmm. And, and, and included in that, actually more importantly than the cases, are what are some interesting interpersonal dynamics between our characters? What are some things that we want to see mm-hmm. um, between them? So that, those all become ideas that kind of we start to get specific and assign different ideas to different episodes. For example, in season two, we had a a new antagonist on the scene. One of the managing partners of the law firm who had sort of been absent for five years came back. Mm-hmm. And so we knew we wanted this guy to be a formidable opponent and we wanted to play stories with him. And we knew that he had a plan to try to take back the firm. Um, but we didn't want our characters to know that yet. So we were sort of Hmm. working within those parameters and you know in episode three the germ of the idea was that our one of our main characters harvey has to work with this managing partner on the case the guy's name is hardman but really what he's trying to do is sort of figure out if this guy has a secret agenda hmm. now that was sort of the the very first sort of building block for our story and then we sort of fill in the blanks and sort of figure out what that's going to be and so on and so on so those, those are sort of like how you know, they, they all start with very small germs of ideas. And, um, you know, we have this year we have nine writers on staff. Last year we had eight. Mm-hmm. And basically it's a lot of sitting in the room together from 10 till seven every day with a lunch break. And we're just bouncing ideas around. We're debating. We're, we're trying to go down some roads and see what, what sticks. Mm-hmm. We're pitching to each other. We're, you know, you, you hammer away at it until the story starts to emerge. Wow. Very, very cool. And, the, and then, um, once once it's all fleshed out, then um, a writer is chosen to make an outline of it. That's right. In in this show, it, is that outline sent to the network? Yes. Yeah, we do. We do send our outlines to the network. Most, most shows seem to do that. That's something I learned in television. I had not done a lot of before when I was writing scripts mm-hmm. with outlining, <laughs> which I, we can talk about that also. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, why, don't we, um, yeah. why don't we do that? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, just in terms of the importance of outlining, um, and what I, because in television, you're making shows so quickly, you know, in cable, on, on, for suits, every seven days, you're basically making a new episode of the show. Wow. So the outlining process is very important for a number of reasons. One is it helps everybody see what the story is going to be. 
Mm. Our outlines are usually 15 pages. So we actually have a lot of detail in our outline. Mm. To, what will a scene look like in this show? What will in this episode? What's some of the dialogue? What's some of the fun, the humor or the romance or the uh, suspense? Or what are the cool moves that are going to happen? Mm-hmm. And, and it's very important for, for all of us to see what these, what is, what the episode might look like, you know, and starting with our boss, like, you know, it, even if he's signed off on a, on a pitch or he's pitched an episode, he still wants to see what it's going to look like, uh, as, you know, in outline form to see if it's working. And then once we sort of get that figured out internally, and, you know, there's always some back and forth and some notes and we, we rejigger some things. Mm-hmm. Then yes, it does go to the network, and that gives them a snapshot of what this episode is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then they can weigh in. I mean, it's always it's always easier to weigh in at the outline stage when things are, you know, at the script stage when you have a, a sixty-page script. Pulling threads is, is a lot more problematic. Yeah, and and harder to fix. But at the outline stage, you're still working with the building blocks, so you can still it's easier to move pieces around mm. or take pieces out or replace them. Personally, what I found in the last several years is that outlining is an incredibly important tool for me. Every writer is different. There are some writers who say they never write outlines and never sort of, they just kind of sit down and open up a document and go. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I learned, and I used to do that, and, and what I end up with is a 60-page script that makes no sense or <laughs> a 120-page script that makes no sense. And so what I learned for myself is I do, outlining is such an important tool to sort of map out where you're going in a story mm. and that for me personally my writing really i think turned a corner once i started embracing outlining my own material mm. and so speaking of your own material even as you're working on these shows you're you're still doing your own personal writing uh trying to i mean it's 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 difficult to find the time because we're in the writer's room pretty much all day mm. and then um and then when you're not in the writer's room, you know, on, on the, when you come home at night, it's hard to sort of get the, the writing muscle going again. Uh, or, you know, we also spend a lot of time researching and, and thinking of story ideas for the show. But yeah, no, I, I do have material that I'm working on. You know, I'm always working on a spec pilot or have a few ideas that I'm trying to develop. But working on, on a television show is, as a writer is, is a, you know, definitely a full-time job. Hmm. But, you know, you try, you do what you can to try to, write your own material. So. Hmm. And, and so um, you you had mentioned uh, be- before the interview that you might want to talk about writer's room etiquette. Now, you you had the experience of observing rooms for several years before you really were um, in a position to, to start to pitch ideas and, and that kind of thing. But to somebody who, I mean, there's a lot of writers who are launched into it a lot more quickly. So what would you say are some right. tips for writer's room etiquette that, that you could give? A writer's room is really there's a lot of debating going on. There's a lot of pitching of ideas. And like, it's, I've seen writers who maybe don't have as much exposure to writer's rooms coming in and sort of in in terms of like trying to be heard, Hmm. just really saying, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me. Hmm. And I think, you know, these, you know, over the years that I've worked in, in different writer's rooms and I think, and I I did that myself for some of us in a writer's room because you're trying to participate. You're trying Hmm. to, and one thing, you know, that I think is important and one thing I learned and I think it's a very useful advice is if, if something is not working for you, if it's a scene or a story point or a plot point or, you know, an act break isn't working, if you're going to say, I, I don't like that or I don't think that's working, then you should have a, a pitch mm-hmm. on it as to how you think it should, it could work. 
you know, I think those are sort of like things that people learn to do. Some people are natural in that sort of thing, but learning how to raise an objection, but also pitch something that you think could work and being open to both, you know, yeah. and sort of not being precious with your ideas and things like that. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually just watched um, John Cleese has this excellent, excellent speech he did to this creativity conference a few years mm -hmm. ago. Um, and he, he has some, I, I guess he started out in, in science, which is amazing. Um, and well, so when he, when he got into writing, he, he applied a lot of these science techniques to f trying to figure out what worked in creativity and, and why. And um, mm -hmm. it, he has some really, really deep insights about the creative process and what's, what's needed for it. And one mm -hmm. of the things that he says in this, in this speech is that um, negativity kills creativity. Yes, I agree. And uh, and he 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 mentions just just even in creativity right. in general how the whole idea about editing your ideas even just personally as you're writing you got to be so yeah. careful about not letting that negative voice come in and he yeah. he mentions in in collaboration how building on what somebody has said like saying well what if we yeah. do this rather than that's bad yeah absolutely I think that's a, that's also a point I wanted to make which is. One, one thing I've learned or tried to embrace myself is there are, you know, I mean, this is a cliche, but there are no bad ideas. I mean, sometimes the greatest sort of stories you can tell are start with the most unlikely of scenarios. Mm. And I think that can be really exciting when it's like, well, how can we make that can never work? We can't make this character do that. But then, then you take a step back and say, well, what if we could make that character do that? What if we could make it believable and interesting and, and make it something that this character actually would do and that turns into a fantastic story i mean i think that's sort of you know our our show is about a sort of a, a hot shot manhattan attorney who takes under his wing a young prodigy genius who didn't go to law school but has an affinity for the law mm -hmm. and to get together they 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 lie about the younger man's credentials and say that he is a lawyer that he went to harvard law school and all these well, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can hear that premise and say, oh, you can never do that. But it's like, well, what if you could do that? What if you could make it work and make it believable? And that's the story. That's what the pilot is about. And that's what our show is about. So I think, like, you know, negativity and, and, and beating down ideas before they can sort of um, have a chance to blossom mm -hmm. is an important thing. You know, it's like when you hear something that seems like it might not work, that might be your key is that is something you're onto something, you know, you're on something interesting. Yeah. John, John Cleese called those, um, intermediate possibles. <laughs> yeah, and, he, and he made the point that, that you might need that bridge to get to your good idea. If you kill it, you've, you've taken down the bridge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that I think is great about the show uh, that I'm working on right now. Suits is we're a very open room. We're very, you know, the, our boss encourages us to come up with what are some game-changing ideas that you think are crazy mm -hmm. and could never could never work. Maybe we can make them work. You know, and that's sort of, that's our starting point. Because then even if you don't go as far as as the craziest idea, like if you're saying vis-a-vis uh, -vis John Cleese, like that maybe, maybe it gets you someplace you, you wouldn't have gotten to had you just sort of killed all the ideas in their infancy. So. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very cool. Well, and why don't we move on to um, tips for breaking in? Now, um, you you followed in in your career sort of a one of the I don't know what to call it um, 
the the standard methods for breaking in, which is yeah, <laughs> um, move to Hollywood and uh, get it get a job wherever you can. Try to get in at, at the assistant level, gradually move in towards writing, writing assistant, try to get some freelance scripts, get your writing noticed, write a lot. Also using the fellowship program. And uh, and so you, you did a lot of the things that everybody would say were right things. <laughs> yeah. so, along the way, what, what have you learned um, that might help somebody breaking in who is earlier in the process? Well, one thing I've learned is that there is no right or wrong way to break in as a writer in Hollywood. And, you know, I've worked, it's probably, I've worked with dozens of writers, maybe even if I counted it up, you know, over a hundred different, I have no idea, but lots of different writers and everybody has a different story Hmm. of how they broke in. You know, for example, one of the writers on our show is a young woman named Erica Lopez. She was a New York playwright living in New York and her manager was able to get one of her plays to the show Lone Star, to the showrunners on the show Lone Star, mm-hmm. two or three, three years ago, she had not written a TV script at that point, and they they read her play, they loved it, they loved her voice, they loved her writing, and they said, "We want to make you a staff writer," you know, and it's an amazing story. Yeah. Oh, I I know a writer like that to uh, Phil Klemmer. Yeah. Um, he yeah. had never written a, a TV episode, and he he had met Rob Thomas at a Halloween party. Um, right. and Rob Thomas said, you ever thought about writing in TV? Can you write a spec? So he wrote a spec in two weeks and got a, got hired as a staff writer on Veronica Mars. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Phil Clemmer actually was my, um, mentor in the NBC writers program. Oh, you're kidding. No. <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah. No, I know Phil pretty well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we had um, we had a writing mentor and an executive mentor. Mm-hmm. And my writing mentor was Phil Clemmer. And at the time, he um, had moved on to Chuck. I think Veronica Mars was over and he was yeah. writing on Chuck. And yeah, he's a great, great guy, great writer. He's, he's very he's a successful career. Just a fantastic person. Yeah. Oh, I love Phil. <laughs> that's so funny. That's, yeah. that's great. And so, and, and yeah, so he, he had a different, I believe he was Michael Gondry's assistant for years or something yes. like that. Yeah. You know, so there is no right or wrong way. I, you know, I worked on the show Half Life, which was created by a writer named David Hudgens, mm-hmm. who was on Friday Night Lights and, um, Everwood, among other things, and currently writes on Paranoid. And he, uh, was a lawyer living in yeah. uh, Dallas, Texas and, um, with his wife and kids and was writing, I think, on the side. And then one day just, moved out to Hollywood and, and, you know, and he broke in. Um, in fact, he does a podcast interview with a woman named Jennifer Gasanti that is also fantastic. And, you know, for yeah. listeners who are looking for other podcasts to listen to, that's a great one. Oh, I love, I love Jen's podcast. Yeah, she's great. And, and that interview with David Hudgens is, I recommend it to anybody to listen to. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different ways to break in for, for sure. That's one thing that I learned quick, quickly. Everybody has a different story. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I do think it's important to qualify. We've mentioned a couple of extremely rare cases where somebody right, breaks right, right. in without doing a lot of the legwork first. I also know of other writers, um, like one who literally was an assistant for ten years before he um, finally was able to break in, and that's after actually, interestingly, he had actually gotten a freelance script, um, and and so he he wrote a freelance script. It was produced. And then he did 10 years before he got another one. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. I, I, uh, 
you know, there's, that's the thing. There's, there's different ways that, you know, and you never know when, when it's gonna, when it's gonna happen. And I think perseverance is a huge part of it. If you really, really, really want to do this and you really keep at it and, and love writing and, and can hang in there, I think if, if you're a good writer and you work hard at it and you are a good person and, and meet the right people and make the right kind of relationships, I think you can do it. Very cool. Well, that sounds like an excellent place to end up. <laughs> Are you on Twitter? Uh, can people reach you in anyhow? Uh, sure, I, I am on Twitter. Um, I don't tweet that much, but once in a while, my Twitter handle or name is the underscore real underscore Rick. Uh, so it's the real Rick. The real Rick. Um, okay. I I started that name as a joke five years ago because Shaquille O'Neal was tweeting uh-huh. as the real Shaq. And uh-huh. That was a funny name. And so I made up the real Rick. <laughs> the real Rick. Maybe I should change it. Well, it's easy to remember. Yeah, I guess it's easy to remember. So. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, I think if you Google Rick Moraghi on Twitter, that probably would, would come up, I guess, or search me on Twitter. Yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, Rick, I All appreciate right. you being so generous with your time. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. And uh, definitely lots of great lots of great insight. I'm sure people are going to love this. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Great. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Okay. Okay. Take Bye-bye. care. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web.